Father, we praise your name in this house for what you have done, for how you have loved us, and for how every judgment of yours is perfect. We praise your sweet and wonderful name. It's a name worth praising. We pray these things in Jesus' name and all the church says. Please be seated in the house of God this morning. You can be taking your Bibles and you can be bookmarking two different places. One of those places is Proverbs chapter 19 and the other would be Exodus chapter 2. Proverbs 19 and Exodus chapter 2. We'll be stepping away for just a brief moment away from the book of Acts as we've been preaching through it and we will get back to it. But for these next couple weeks, for these next two or three weeks, we'll be stepping away to see that God's Word is preached in some other places, and I'm looking forward to this time in God's Word with you. Proverbs 19 and Exodus chapter 2. You can be in both of those places. I hope you are excited for Christmas this year. And yes, of course, Thanksgiving is well on its way and we'll be here before we know it, but I hope that you are planning to celebrate the promise fulfilled of Christmas. And I hope it's much deeper. I hope especially for you dads, us parents out there, I hope we are leading our families and things that are much deeper than just the superficial celebration of Christmas. I hope in the scriptural texts that we will be reading, I hope included with chapter 2 of Luke, I hope will also be Genesis chapter 3, reading about the fall of mankind, particularly there in verse 15, after Adam and Eve had sinned, and the first ever messianic prophecy that God looks at the devil himself and says, there is coming one whom you will bruise the heel of, there will come one whom you will inflict upon a non-lethal blow. But there is coming one who will crush your head. He will be the one to deliver to you, Satan, the lethal blow. So Genesis 3, chapter 15 is a good scripture to keep in reference as we're preparing to celebrate Christmas as a church. And hopefully you're planning to celebrate with this church. You see all those different things in the bulletin. I hope you're a part of those things as we celebrate our Lord together. But this Genesis chapter 3, verse 15 is also a good reference for us today as we'll be looking at these Scripture, scriptures out of the Old Testament, uh, and I believe that this morning, if by the Holy Spirit of God He opens the Word of God to you, uh, that this message today will have within it the ability to mature you and to mature me in our faith as we see how the sovereignty of God interacts with the actions of people. But first, if hopefully we've got our Bibles bookmarked in both of those places, uh, let's pray that. The Holy Spirit of God would do what only he can do among our fellowship today. Let's pray. Jesus, we have, as your flock, we have lined up at the feeding trough. And we're ready to be fed from your word. Father, we recognize this is something that your Holy Spirit must do in guiding us in all truth. So, Father, we have lined ourselves up at the feeding trough and we are throwing ourselves upon your mercy to say that to be spiritually fed 
to be nourished of your word today, that you must do a work in showing it to us. And we pray that that would be true in your house today. We ask and pray these things in Jesus' name and all the church says. I've never been there before, but I'm told that if you go to Greenland and you can get into a boat and you can go and take a tour to look at icebergs that are floating in the water. I've never been there. I've never done this kind of a thing, but I'm told that if you were to take one of these boat tours to go survey and take pictures of these icebergs floating in the water, you'll notice an interesting phenomenon happening before you. You'll see some of the smaller icebergs darting about going in different directions in a somewhat haphazard for, uh, way, in a fashion that is haphazard. And this is only happening to the small ones, to the small icebergs. The very large icebergs, however, are not darting about and changing directions as the smaller ones are. The larger ones are all moving slowly yet steadily in the same direction. The reason for this is, is because the smallest icebergs are being mostly influenced by the wind. They don't float very deep in the water, so the thing that predominantly influences the direction of where this small iceberg moves in the water is the wind. And as you know, or hopefully you know this morning, the wind changes directions frequently. It kind of flutters about here and there, and those smaller icebergs react as such. The largest icebergs, however, they float much deeper in the water. So rather than being the wind, being the predominant thing that influences this massive ice structure, it's rather the undercurrent of the water that is consistent, moving the same direction. And therefore, the wind does not have its effect as it does on the smaller icebergs as it does on the big ones because the large ones are driven by a different kind of force. It's slow and it's steady, but they're all moving consistently in the same direction as the undercurrent takes them there. When I thought about that interesting phenomenon, I thought about life, and I thought about how we see around us many small icebergs, things that are driven about, changing directions, not consistent. And then I thought about God's sovereignty and what you could call his redemptive plan for humanity and how it is consistent. It's driven by his perfect will. It's driven by his perfect sovereignty and power. It's immovable. Look, if you would, to Proverbs 19, verse 21. We will keep Genesis 3.15 in our minds, that first promise of a Messiah that God gave. We'll keep also throughout the entirety of this sermon, also as a reference, Proverbs 19, verse 21, which says, There are many plans in a man's heart. Nevertheless, the Lord's counsel, that will stand. And we hardly ever do this, we hardly ever do this, but I'd like for us to do this with this verse. I'd like for us to read this together. Read it with me, ready, set, and go. There are many plans in a man's heart. Nevertheless, the Lord's counsel, that will stand. Let's do it one more time. There are many plans in a man's heart. Nevertheless, the Lord's counsel, that will stand. There are many plans in a man's heart. Many things that go about shifting directions quickly, non-consistent. 
But there is a counsel of the Lord. There is a plan of the Lord. There is a sovereignty of the Lord that stands through the midst of those things. Steady, moving in the same direction. His sovereign will, his unfailing counsel. And we see this teaching affirmed in the New Testament as well. In James 4, verses 13 through 15, it says, Come now, you who say... Today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there, buy and sell and make a profit, whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. Now, we have numerous examples, a plethora of examples out of Scripture that we could see highlighting and making clear the counsel of of God in this kind of way. Uh, But where we'll be going this morning would be Exodus chapter 2. This should be the other place that our Bibles are bookmarked. You can be turning there now. As we see this element of God's immovable sovereignty moving history along in a slow yet steady direction that is immovable by these plans of a man that are many in the heart we see his steadfast and movable character marching through on the history of redemptive history and we see it highlighted in the beginning of the life of Moses as we see this scriptural narrative before us this morning and while we'll be looking at Exodus chapter 2 in most detail the story essentially begins in Exodus chapter 1 And if you know your Bible well, you'll know in Exodus chapter 1, it describes to us a time in which God's people were multiplying rapidly. It describes to us a time when the king of Egypt, who we know to be Pharaoh, saw that this nation was becoming strong. So strong, in fact, that he was scared that they were going to overtake the Egyptians at some point in time. So his response to this was to put them under severe bondage to put taskmasters over them and to oppress the people with this kind of slave labor. He thought that that would slow down this people to make it such that they would no longer be a threat. Much to his surprise, the the more that they persecuted this people, the more they put them underneath heavy bondage, they continued to prosper. They continued to grow stronger. So the plans of a man's heart that were many inside of Pharaoh, they went to something more sinister. He goes to the midwives of the Hebrew people. Their names were Shifra and Pua. And he told them that when the Hebrew women were giving birth, if they gave birth to a female, let the female live. But if they gave birth to a baby boy, kill it while it's coming out of the womb. Now these two ladies feared the Lord more than they did Pharaoh, thank God. And they decided to not go along with that. They would let the boys live as would they would let the girls live as well. And the Pharaoh caught on to this. He sees little baby Hebrew boys popping up all over the place, and he realizes that it wasn't taking place. So he confronts these two midwives again and says, Why is it that you've not done as I've commanded? And these two midwives, Shifra and Pua, I would say they, they did lie to the Pharaoh, and I would say in a justified kind of way. And it even tells us in the scriptures that they feared God, And they did these things because they feared God. They said that the Hebrew women were not like the Egyptians that required this kind of help from the midwives. Though what they told the Pharaoh was that by the time that they got there, the baby would already be born and thus would go with it their opportunity to kill this male baby child. 
So the plan after that, the plan in the man's heart in the heart of Pharaoh that are many, was even more sinister the next time. He then made it a wall. He then made it across the people. He announced and said, if a boy is born, you just got to throw him in the river. He took it another step. And this paints the background as we see Scripture in its context for Exodus chapter 2. Look now to verse 1 as we see how these things played out. And a man of the house of Levi went and took as wife a daughter of Levi. So the woman who we know, if you know your Bible well, this would be Jochebed, the mother of Moses, she conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was a beautiful child, she hid him three months. But when she could no longer hide him, she took an ark of bulrushes for him, dubbed it with asphalt and pitch, put the child in it, and laid in it in the reeds by the river's bank. So you have this time of oppression, these plans in the heart of a man which are many, which we see repeatedly increasingly more wicked from Pharaoh. And undoubtedly there were people obeying this wicked law. And Moses' mother, Jochebed, wasn't going to do it. She hid the baby three months and, and we know what she did. She made this little basket out of bulrushes and she coated it with this tar and this pitch that would make it float and she places the baby in it. She wasn't willfully going to destroy this thing that God had made. And we can make some observations just even thus far as we've gotten in Scripture thus far. We can make some observations about Jochebed. If you can want to take notes, you can. We know that Jochebed, as did the, the two midwives, they had an eye to see what was right. It says there in verse 2, part B, it says that when she, Jochebed, saw that he was beautiful child, she hid him for three months. That word beautiful is the same Hebrew word that was used to describe God when he was talking about things being good in the creation account in the beginning of Genesis. When God would create all that he created, and then he would say it was good, that the land was good, that the things he created were indeed good. The same word is used for when Jochebed looked on this little baby Moses and said, this is a good baby. This is a good creation of God. And we would have to think that very likely those two midwives would have had the same element. They would, their eyes would have seen what was right. They were seeing things as God would have seen them. Another thing that we notice about Jochebed as we make these beginning observations is that Jochebed was a lawbreaker, as were the midwives. It was law what Pharaoh spoke. As a matter of fact, in that period of time, he would have been worshipped as king by most Egyptians, if not all of them. He would have been seen as a godlike character. And at the day and age, it was kind of known that Egypt was kind of the main mega power of that day. He would have basically been seen as king over the entire earth. And he tells these two midwives, kill the baby boys as they're being born, and they refuse to obey that law. Good for them. And as it was for Jochebed... As well, she wasn't going to obey this law. She was indeed a lawbreaker. And undoubtedly, it doesn't tell us explicitly, but I'm imagining that there were many other Hebrew ladies who were obeying that wicked, wicked law. If something like that were to have happened in our day, there would be many people who call themselves Christians that would give a Romans 13 explanation as to why you need to obey the laws of the land Know in wisdom, dear church, that there are times when it is, does not align with the word of God, that you are permitted to break the law. Jochebed was a lawbreaker. Thank God that she was. 
Another thing that we undoubtedly know if you have children or if you have grandchildren, you know that Jochebed went through this heartbroken. Maybe not to the same extent, perhaps maybe to the same extent that the two midwives were, but Jochebed was going through these things in a heartbroken manner. Could you imagine this baby boy that you've been hiding? And it doesn't tell us all the details, but it makes it sound like she hid him for the period of three months, and that was as long as she was able to. It sounds as though that this pressing of this these army going around and making sure that all the boys were disposed of that it sounds like the pressure had so increased to the point that she knew she was not going to be able to keep this boy hidden any longer and so she could could you imagine going down to the river and pulling up grasses and and weaving them together in a basket to put your baby in and letting them float down the river Think of the heartbreak that she would have been experiencing as she was putting her precious baby that she said was good in this basket to float down the river. But the story doesn't end there. And I hope you haven't forgotten about the the verse in Proverbs we looked at as well as Genesis 3 verse 15 because we'll be there in just a moment. But right now we're in verse 4 here in Exodus chapter 2 as we see the continuation of this story. And his sister which we know to be a girl by the name of Miriam. And his sister stood afar off to know what would be done to him. And the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe in the river. And her maidens walked along the river. And when she saw the ark among the reeds, she sent her maid to get it. And when she opened it, she saw the child. And behold, the baby wept. So she had compassion on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister, who was, again, if you understand, she's walking along the river from afar, watching to see what happened to her baby brother in this basket. Then his sister said to the Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call a nurse for you from the Hebrew women, that she may nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. So the maiden went and called the child's mother. Then Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. And the child grew, and she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. So she called his name Moses, saying, Because I drew him out of the water. So see the picture here, church. This heinous law has been set. And I'm sure that there were some Hebrew women who were obeying it. Jochebed wasn't going to. She puts her baby, she hides him for as long as she can. She puts him in this basket. He's floating down the river. Miriam is walking, walking along the edge of the river, peering through to see what would happen to this her little brother in this basket. And she sees the Pharaoh's daughter coming down to get herself a bath at the edge of the river. She sends one of her maids out to get this basket. She opens it up. She picks the baby up and realizes this is a Hebrew's child. And she wants to keep it herself. Now imagine Miriam walking up and saying, Hey, Pharaoh's daughter, I just noticed that you uh, just acquired yourself a baby out of the river. Um, Would you like for me to go and find for you a Hebrew lady that could nurse this baby for you? And that sounded agreeable to the Pharaoh's daughter. So she says, yes, go and go and get it. Could you imagine that conversation? And it's kind of unclear whether it was the maiden of Pharaoh's daughter that went first or whether it was Miriam herself that went back to her mother Jochebed to say, hey, you get to nurse your own baby and you're going to get paid doing it. But if it was indeed Miriam that went back to the mother Jochebed first and says, could you imagine what that conversation was like? Mom, you're not going to believe. I saw 
the princess go down to bathe and she picked up the baby and Moses, he's coming back to us. This baby brother, he wasn't named at the time, but our baby's coming back and you're going to get to nurse the baby that you just got done putting in that basket. And not only that, you're going to get paid for it. How awesome that these things happened. So zoom out for just a moment. Zoom out to see the plans of a man that are many. To see these plans of Pharaoh. Zoom out from that to see what's happening here. Pharaoh's got the heart of a man. The plans that are many. That are quick and changing and uncertain. But remember also the promise that God made in in Genesis 3 verse 15. That there was going to come this Savior who would crush the head of Satan. And remember also that in God's sovereignty, He chose that this Savior, this Redeemer, this Messiah, this Jesus was going to come out of this Israelite nation. This Israelite nation had to be preserved. They had to experience this freedom. They had to come to this place that would then bring forth the living Messiah, Jesus Christ Himself. So you see these plans of Pharaoh, the plans that are many in a man's heart, and you see it going along and you see God through his sovereignty, making the large iceberg move forward through his sovereign plan. You see this way that God is going to make this nation be preserved through this Moses who God chose to be the deliverer of the people that then this nation would bring it about that would out of that nation would come Jesus himself. This big in the water, driven by the sovereignty of God, thing moving forward that could not be touched by these whimsical plans of a man's heart. If you understand that, say amen. There are many plans in a man's heart. Nevertheless, the Lord's counsel, that will stand. Now understand also, in God's sovereignty, that Jochebed was part of that. She was used as a vessel of God that was moving in the direction God was taking redemptive history. Those two midwives were used as vessels in the same way. Used in accordance with what God was doing with the large iceberg that was being moved about by the more steady and powerful thing. They were used as God's vessels to be able to bring that plan about. As we see throughout the entire scripture, God uses these people. And they're either for him or they are against him. Jochebed and those two midwives were for it. They saw as God saw. They feared God. And it didn't matter what laws were made. If it went in opposition to God whom they feared most, they were going to disobey. And they did praise God that they did. And not just them, but we know that God used Moses in numerous ways. Uh, flip over, if you would, to Acts, or excuse me, I keep saying Acts because that's where we've been, been. Exodus chapter 14. Look to Exodus chapter 14. We know of the numerous ways in which God used Moses. We'll look at simply one of them. As now that you see this promise that God made in Genesis 3.15 that was fulfilled in the person of Christ, this Christ, whom in God's sovereignty came through the nation of Israel. 
God was going to make that thing move forward by his sovereignty. That is the thing that stands, the Lord's counsel stands, not the plans of a man's heart, which are many, which we see expressed through Pharaoh. And see how God continue now in a form of judgment, continue to make his plan come about, his will come about through the means of people that are in accordance with the mission that God has. Exodus 14, verse 26. And we come to a place we know in the book of Exodus where the people are going through the Red Sea. God has used Moses to be a deliverer and is in the process now of using Moses to be the deliverer of God's people. The Red Sea is parted. They've gone through it. The Egyptian army, even after saying that they could go, is now pursuing them. And we come to verse 26. And the Lord said to Moses, Stretch your hand over the sea, that the waters may come back upon the Egyptians, on their chariots and on their horsemen. And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. And when the morning appeared, the sea returned to its full depth, while the Egyptians were fleeing into it. So the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. Then the waters returned and covered the chariots, the horsemen, and all the army of Pharaoh that came into the sea after them. Not so much as one of them remained. If you were to somehow go over to Greenland and get in one of those boats so that you could go and look at some of these icebergs, another thing that you would notice is that the bigger icebergs break apart the smaller ones. You would watch these smaller ones being blown about by the wind and these large ones that are being driven steadily in the same direction would then bump against the small ones. And because of the sheer mass and the sheer power with which these large icebergs are moving, the smaller ones would crumble before them. I'd like to submit to you today that the Egyptians and this story were the smaller iceberg that crumbled before the mighty plan of God, before his unfailing counsel. And Moses was used as a vessel that was in the same direction of that sovereign current moving that awesome plan. Somebody say amen because I feel like preaching here for a moment. Now let's apply the word of God. Let's do more than just make some nice scriptural observations today. Let's apply it. Consider first, as we get ready to apply this understanding of Genesis 3.15, God's promise to bring about this Messiah, and, and, and understanding this verse out of Proverbs, that there's many plans in, the, in a man's heart, yet it's the Lord's counsel that stands, and seeing it play out that people like Jochebed, like those two midwives, and like Moses were used of the Lord to move that current along underneath the Lord's sovereign will. Two things to notice here. First, think of the age in which the midwives and Jochebed and Moses lived. They were at a period of time in the course of all history, they were at a period of time where they were marching towards the Genesis 3.15 promise coming true. They were marching towards the time of Christ who came and redeemed the people and suffered and bled on a cross that you and I might be free today. Somebody say amen. It's awesome what he did. It's awesome that he was powerful over death. We couldn't have done that. Somebody say yes, okay? Thank God that Christ has done what he has done. They were marching towards that used of God's purposes as all of creation was marching towards that pivotal mark in time when Christ came. Now you think of you and I, we are now post, we are after the Genesis 3.15 promise. We are after the time that Christ hung and bled on the cross. We are after the time that he was put in the borrowed grave and rose to life on the third day. We are after that time. And while Moses and Jochebed and those two midwives, they were carrying forth this promise of God that they were these chosen, 
chosen people of God, you and I now have all of Scripture to see it. We have all of these examples, and now you and I are holding the gospel. We're holding the great commission that Jesus gave us before he ascended on high, and now we're marching towards the second coming of Christ. But the mission that we have is looks a little bit different, but it's still this undercurrent moving the large things of history under the will of God's sovereignty holding this awesome gospel that you and I are called to share. That's where we are in the plan of redemptive history. So we understand those things. We understand also that there are many plans in a man's heart. We could call those things agendas. That's a common word that many of us know what the meaning of that word is, an agenda. And we see lots of agendas in our world today. Some of them sinister, some of them not. Some examples of hopefully non-sinister plans we see around us or agendas. Restaurants want to make you fat. Gyms want to make you skinny. Car lots want you to buy their car and to buy their brain. They buy those huge circular things that they pull the car up and it just moves. If you've seen what I'm talking about, raise your hand if you know what I'm talking about. They move the car around so you can see how flashy and shiny it is. And, and that's an agenda. Another agenda, you think of the grocery store. We've all heard the reports and read the things that they, they make the grocery stores just so that you buy as much as absolute possible. And, and, and where they really get you are on the end caps. The things that are at the end of each aisle, that's where they really get you. And if you've ever noticed, usually they put little sugary stuff. Stuff that you think would be nice to eat on the way home that you grab off of the end cap, you throw in your cart, and you stuff your face with gluttony on the way home. Like that's their goal. That's their agenda with the end cap. And it's interesting if you've noticed, like I have, when there was the scare of not enough food and all these shortages and stuff, usually they put all the candy and, and sweet sugary things on the end caps. When there was the scare in the media that there wasn't going to be enough food, it was like bags of rice. And canned food and all that kind of stuff on the end caps. There, you see those agendas around us, and some of them are quite humorous. There are some, however, that are not humorous, the more sinister of them. And I'll mention three of them so that we can actually apply the Word of God today, that we can see God's sovereign will in us as believers sharing the gospel, this mission that He has given us, that is steadfast and certain and moving forward with or without us. And we also see these three examples of these smaller icebergs. Plans of a man's heart that are many and they're going about every which way. They don't know what the truth is, is moving in the proper direction. I'll share with you three examples. The first of which comes in the form of a picture. Don't show the picture just yet. It's a picture. And this picture was deemed by Facebook to be, I saw a couple different things. Sometimes it was referenced as a grotesque picture. Uh, sometimes it was referenced as a dangerous picture or one that could incite violence. Get ready to shield your kid's eyes if you need to, but go ahead and show that picture. Here's our grotesque picture. Stand up for what you believe in, even if it means standing alone. I'm so offended by that little flower. I mean, what, this was covered over on media, on social media, this example of a small iceberg plan of a man's heart covered over as a dangerous, could be a violent picture. I mean, it's a miracle some people are still smart enough to be breathing, but 
But here's the thing that you know. Okay, if you read your Bibles and you read the story of Daniel, you read the story of Jochebed and, and these midwives, you read the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, those words up there could be one of the extrapolations from texts that we would see to be true. That if it's for the sake of the truth, yes, stand up for what you believe in, even if it means you're standing alone. That's one example of a plan of a man, a sinister one, because they don't want that interpretation from Scripture coming out, that element of people standing up for what it is that they believe in. It's a plan of a man's heart. There are many of them. I'll share with you another one, and these next come in the form of articles that I read this week. This one was of October 26th of just last month, so of this year, so less than just a few weeks ago. And the title is, School Board Bans Parents from Discussing Non-Approved Topics and Criticizing Board Members. The school board in Mankato, Minnesota, announced strict new rules that effectively prevent parents from criticizing board members. The new restrictions were announced at a meeting held on October the 18th. Quote, effective tonight, open forum participants are prohibited from calling out or addressing any individual school board or school board district staff member. If this occurs, open forum will be closed, end quote. Said school board chair Jody Sapp. Quote, beginning on the November 1st school board meeting, open forum will be limited to those individuals who wish to speak to an item on the board agenda. Close quote. The effect of these two rules is that parents are not able to discuss anything but the topics approved by the board in its agenda and all board members and social administrator schools administrators are protected from direct criticism. So let me just, if you haven't read between the lines there, if they want to teach your child something that you don't agree with, and at a school board meeting, they don't want to hear you causing a fuss about that particular thing that they want to teach your child. They've made it a rule, and, and, and I hope you hear, I mentioned a few weeks ago that the first thing that some school boards tried to do, not many, but some tried to do, was make it illegal for parents to even be on school grounds during certain hours. That was the first thing that they tried. It never really got any traction, but this is getting traction. They're just making the rules up, and they're abiding, making it such that people have to abide by them. So they want to teach your kids something. You don't think it's right. They don't want to hear you whine and complain about it, so they don't put that item on the school board agenda. When you, the school board gathers together, if it's not on the agenda, the parent can't talk about it. It's dead wrong. Many are the ways of a man's heart. But the counsel of the Lord, that is the thing that will stand. You see these smaller icebergs going about every which way, the plans of a man's heart, these sinister things. We know them to be orchestrated of the devil, using people for his purposes and these kinds of things. It's dead wrong. But let's apply the word of God as we see it, as we see where we are in redemptive history after the fulfillment of the Genesis 3.15 promise that there would be a Savior to come and save the people, which we know he came. We know that he did what he said he was going to do. We know that he was the Messiah. And we're carrying the gospel forth, marching towards the second coming of Christ, preaching the gospel as we go along the way in this immovable force underneath the will and sovereignty of God. And we see these smaller icebergs getting in the way. I gave you two examples, I'll give you one more. 
This was an article a couple months ago, a few months ago, from August the 13th of this year. The title of it is, Church Requires COVID Vaccination for In-Person Services. One Atlanta church says you must have proof of COVID-19 vaccination to enter the building. The only exception is a doctor's note explaining why you can't get the vaccine. On August 1st, Greater Piney Grove Baptist Church had its first in-person Sunday service since March 2020. The 107-year-old church has had longtime members get sick and die from COVID-19. Some are now sick with the Delta variant. Vaccine requirements are the only way forward, according to Miranda McKenzie, the church's public relations director. Quote, we are following the science, end quote, McKenzie says. It's much safer to be vaccinated than not to be. We go over and beyond taking safety precautions for our members. Along with vaccination, church members must have their temperatures checked, sign a waiver, and wear a mask. Worshippers who do not come in person can live stream the service on YouTube or Facebook. When the church says everyone must be vaccinated, they mean everyone. People under the age of 12 are not allowed in the church building. I think maybe they should stop following the science and start following Jesus. I think maybe they should believe Jesus when he says, if you cause one of these little ones to stumble, better for his neck to be tied around a millstone, for a millstone to be tied around his neck and to be cast in the depths of the sea. Maybe they should just believe the scriptures. It's a way of a man's heart, the plans that are many bouncing around, going every which way, while this immovable force underneath the sovereignty and will of God as we march forward into history towards the second coming of Christ, while you and I are to be in accordance with that, going with that, being used as vessels of God for those purposes, for the sake of his kingdom. And what I'm here to tell you this morning, church, is as we see all of these things, it's time for you and I to be on board with that in the same way that Jochebed, the same way that Moses and those two, those two midwives were. They were used in the same direction of God's purposes and plan for redemptive history. You've heard Eldon say it many times, and it's a good saying that it's time for us to join what God is doing. God's purposes, his plan, the direction of redemptive history that we know is going a certain direction without any shadow of a doubt. It's for us to come alongside that. For If there's anything in our will that's in opposition to that, it's for us to change and come in alignment with what God is doing with this gospel that he has called us to preach. So the question on the table today is, are you blown about by the winds of this life? Are you like those small, bounced-around icebergs that don't have any basis of truth, that are just the plans of a man's heart, which indeed are many? Are you affected by the things of media? Let me tell you something right now, and if you came only today to hear this and this alone, this will bless your socks off. Turn the media off. It's lying to you. You can't have junk and filth and lies pumping into your home and not eventually start to believe some of those lies. Turn it off. Have the eyes like Jochebed and those two midwives did to see what is good and true and beautiful and to preserve that, not that of a lie. Realize that when Facebook fact checkers, I'd still love to know who those goofballs are, but when they cover up those photos that, that express a true element, 
See it for what they are as a wicked intent, plan of a man's heart, small iceberg bouncing around, no basis of truth, and absolutely wrong. Know it. Preach it. Teach it. Let your kids know about it. Go through it with your eyes wide open. If there are any parents in here who come subject to this type of new laws that, or rules, whatever they are, that school boards are coming, don't, don't obey to that for a millisecond. You are the parent. It's up to you what your kids are being taught. They don't have the authority to silence you. If they make a rule, break the rule. Be like Jochebed. Be like those midwives. Don't go along with it. There were likely many other Hebrew ladies that were throwing their baby boys in the river. Don't be like that. Break the laws. Break the rules. Fear God more than the school board. Somebody say amen. And he is worth fearing. School boards will not return with a fire in their eyes. School boards will not come to strike the nations with a rod of iron. They won't. They will bow their knee and confess Jesus Christ as Lord like everyone else will. Shame on them for those that ungodly, small, bounced-around iceberg agenda. It's the way of a man's heart. It's the counsel of the Lord that will stand. Which side are you on? Which direction are you going? I want to be with the big iceberg. Pastor Ben, why, why be like this? Why can't we just float? Why can't we just be cool and get along with everybody? Let me share with you just a couple fearful things, and then I'd like to finish by talking about this message that Christ has left us with. A couple fearful things to reference. I want you just to consider in your minds for a moment God himself looking at the devil himself, Genesis 3.15, and making this promise, there is coming one who's going to stomp your head in and deliver to you the lethal blow. The power, the majesty, the sovereignty of Almighty God. And to think that we would not bow in humble reverence to align our lives with everything that God has said. A fearful verse to remember, Matthew twelve thirty: He who is not with me is against me. And he who does not gather with me scatters abroad. Which iceberg are you? Are you going along with the direction under God's sovereign wills, making it go, marching towards, doesn't matter what happens, doesn't matter what anybody says, we are marching towards the coming of Christ. We are moving forward in redemptive history underneath the sovereign hand of God, and it's moving, it's going that direction, or used of a vessel of God and moving that direction. Did you know that there are many places in the world that will not accept American missionaries? And the reason that there are numerous places in the world that will not accept American missionaries is because the tribes in those areas that are believers, the actual church that's there, they don't even accept them as a believer. They see their life, they see that they have suffered nothing for the cause of Christ, they see that they are lax in sharing the gospel, and they think to themselves, certainly this person is not even a believer, how could they be a missionary in this town? It's a fearful thing. So I'd like to simply finish. 
fast forward through all the scripture we've been past Genesis 3.15, past Exodus, past the book of Proverbs, past all these things. You fast forward all the way up to the time in the past when you come to Christ standing on the base of that mountain before, after the 40 days after his resurrection, he's opened up the scriptures, he showed the disciples the connection between all that he is, all that he's done, all that he's accomplished, connected it all to the Old Testament to say I am the perfect fulfillment of all of it. And now you take the disciples who formerly were a scattered, going about, going the little iceberg type of way. They just didn't know what in the world they were doing to all of a sudden they're preachers opening the word of God and preaching it in word and truth, understanding all that Christ had shown them in that 40 day period. And then he's standing on the base of that mountain and he looks at him and he says, I want you to go and I want you to preach the gospel. I want you to proclaim and to teach the people all the things that I've commanded you. And then he takes that way of salvation. He takes his finished work on the cross, his free grace that these people are now recipients of, and he places it in their hands. He's placed it in our hands, church. He's placed that in our hands, and now you and I have a decision. Are we going to just be tossed about by the waves like these small icebergs that just get, are, are we going to get bummed out by what we see on the media? Or are we, are, are we going to stay steadfast going the direction of preaching the gospel and doing the right thing with what's been placed in our hands? Because many believers, they don't even care. They don't even care where they stand in redemptive history. They don't give a hoot. And what I'm saying is we as God's people past the Genesis 3.15 fulfilled promise and our Jesus, somebody say amen, after that awesome fulfillment to pay for our sin and the sacrifice that he was, and now he's given us the only message of salvation that we're going to preach and to teach. And to share with our children and to share with our neighbors. That's the thing that we are called to do as this big iceberg moving underneath the authoritative hand of God towards the second coming of His Son. That's what we're to go and to preach and to teach and to share. Would you stand with me please? As we come to the music. Jesus, forgive your church. Forgive us for what we have misused in our hands. Forgive us for having done nothing with the Great Commission. Oh, Father, make us teachers of this truth to our children. Father, this thing that you have given us in our hands, this gospel that is the only way, the only way that a person might be saved from their sin. Let us make us communicators, expert communicators to our children what this gospel means. Make us expert communicators to our coworkers what this gospel means. Let us call from this great iceberg that is moving underneath the authoritative, sovereign hand of God and let us call from it saying, Whosoever will may come and find freedom at the cross. 
God, it's all we have. I don't have anything to give the world. The world needs nothing of Ben Sweeterman. The world needs everything of the Son of God. So, Father, as we celebrate Thanksgiving and celebrate Christmas and celebrate the coming of a new year, draw us by your Holy Spirit to do the right thing with the Great Commission. If we march, and indeed we do march towards the future, place inside of us a heart like those two midwives. Place inside of us a heart like Jochebed. Place inside of us a heart like Moses that was used of your purpose and your will. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.